Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. There it is. We hit record and we're cranking. It's like off to the races. The firing gun has been shot and we are just running. We're sprinting to do this podcast and I can't wait to introduce my guest to you all. You, if you don't already know her and you probably already do, and if you don't, you need to. She is an influencer. She is a marketing strategist, a technologist. She is everywhere. I feel like she's got that Hermione Granger magic thing that lets her be in all places at once. She's at every single part out event. She is a 2020 Salesforce marketing champion. And that's the series for today. Also, four times People's Choice Award winner, year after year after year, marketing automation lead, Pardot CRM specialist at NSF International, Ashley Anger. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm so excited. We've chatted before. I see you at every single event I ever go to. And it's just like, we got to sit down and just chat marketing. Let's get on the podcast. Awesome. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's our Marketing Champion Series, and I'm excited. And the way we start every show is I have to go pick this thing up. It's heavy. One second. Okay. Here you go. Thor's hammer. Got it? Got it. All right. Take that and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, but set the record straight once and for all. Yes, I am here to smash the myth that adding a new MarTech tool will magically fix your marketing and that purchasing the tool already knows your business. And that's just not true. And so many people um, tend to instantly think that a tool will solve all of their problems. So we're here today to kind of smash that myth. I love the way you said that. The tool already knows your business. What a myth, right? right. I, I've never heard it said that way before. The idea that, cool, we bought this thing and it's psychic or it has an Elon Musk brain connection into our, into our brains, and it knows automatically who we're going after, our customers, what we're trying to do, uh, all their challenges, and it just knows all these things, so it's just going to do all this stuff. It's so true. It doesn't know that at all, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. And you have to know those things before you even consider purchasing a tool, um, because you have to tell that tool what to do. It's technology, and technology is great, but it doesn't know everything. So we have to teach the tools to do what we want them to do. I'm trying to think now, what does it know? Like, <laughs> you know, like, does it even know anything before we, not really. I mean, it, no. it knows it does its job, but it doesn't have any background whatsoever. It really is a clean slate, which can be really cool if you've got a messy account somewhere else. Yes. Coming up. I love a clean slate. I do. Right. So we have to, we have to fill its brain. We have to be like teachers and teach it everything from scratch. We do. We do. And there are definitely a lot of things to consider before moving forward and, and buying a tool that you think okay. is going to solve all of your problems. Right. So I've got three tips that Ooh. I definitely want people to know to think about before they just jump into the demos and the, the product launches and all of those fun things. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes. So my first one is budget. Budget is so important and it's more than just the cost of the program because obviously we know that they typically come with a pretty good cost, pretty substantial cost, but we also need to consider 
um, the cost to manage it, the cost to implement or integrate it into your systems. That's a huge one. And I think people get very excited. They see something shiny and new and they want to bring it on board, but they don't consider having the employees or the manpower to be able to manage it or the training that goes along with it. Um, so those are all really important things to keep in mind. And, um, you know, it all comes down to numbers at the end of the day, right? So yeah. you need to be able to show ROI for your purchase as well. So all things to consider in that budget category. The second one that Hold I have on, is- one sec, real quick on yeah. that. Because <laughs> you just threw a bunch of things at me. I wrote most of them down here. So true. The idea that it's more than just the tool. Again, the tool doesn't know anything. And when we say costs, it's not, it's kind of like when you go to buy, you know, like, I don't know, a soda and a snack or something at a convenience store and you're in one of those states where you have all sorts of crazy taxes and it says like oh this is 99 cents and you only have a dollar yeah it's not 99 cents right it's like plus the percent tax oh it ends up being like 107 and you can't do it i think that happens to us with these tools too we think okay we've budgeted our max this is all we got or it's kind of like the people with the home shopping things where they like they buy a home at the top of their range only it's a fixer and they need to put more into it, but they're not thinking about that. You, you, you mentioned so many things, implementation, integration, the management, the training, there's so many other costs people don't think about. Yes, yeah. Um, and then what happens is you bring this tool on, but maybe it wasn't budgeted for all of the pieces that go along with it. You know, right. you only got approval for the program or the platform itself. So then you're kind of stuck. And I've seen a lot of companies and I've worked with a lot of companies where they get the tool and then they have to wait, you know, a year, two years to bring someone on board or to really understand how to use it. So then you're spending this enormous amount of money on this really great piece of technology, but you can't use it. You can't utilize it the way it could be used. So, you know, that's, that's a big problem. Yeah. And I'm out there to help fix it. <laughs> yeah, you are for sure. Yeah. But you're so true about the being stuck. See, it was like, cool, I've already approved this. You don't, you don't have any more. <laughs> like, sorry. Mm -hmm. Cool. You need all this other stuff to get, get cranking. Um, all right. And you're right. It's, what do you do? I guess you just hang out for the next several months or try to, you know, what you've been doing. I mean, obviously going to user events is fantastic and all these other kind of things. But in the end, if you could just plan to have some of those costs built in, then you can really address everything. Yeah. And I've been on both ends and it's much easier when you lay out the plan to your supervisor or to the VP and say, these are all of the costs associated and this is the value we'll get from it. Right. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Budget. Boom. Written it. What's, yeah. the, what's number two? Yeah. The second one is, does it fit your company's needs right now, but also in the future? Okay. So um, another trend that I've seen just the last few years is people jumping on, on new technology, but not really considering what kind of role it'll play, you know, two, three, five, ten years down the road, if a role at all. So they're looking for a quick fix, but they're not really thinking about how it's going to tie into all of their processes, all of their procedures, how it's going to overlay onto what they're already doing, you know, how they're going to be able to pull data from, from that piece and tie it into data from other pieces and other platforms they're using. Yeah, it's almost like short-sightedness and long-sightedness at the same time. That, right. People usually have one or the other, but you're right. It can be a problem to think about the needs. And I've, I've certainly seen people buy the wrong tool because they thought it had too many features. You know, they wanted to go more of like a, not even MailChimp, like a, a lightweight marketing automation because they're like, oh, we'll probably never get to all these things. But it's like, but what if you do? Or what if next year you're ready for them and now you got to migrate? 
that that sounds terrible. Yeah, um, that's no easy feat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, no easy feat. Um, but then also, can can it have value in the short term? How do you balance that? How do you find that middle ground of it? Maybe it's a little bit advanced for us, but it, we can have good value now at the same time. I think it's a lot of planning and a lot of speaking with other stakeholders. Um, so just because I see something and I'm fascinated by it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for the company as a whole, you know, and I think that's something that's really important to take into consideration. You want to make sure that your sales or business development team will get benefits from it as well. The more people that can benefit from something, you know, the more likely it is to be approved. And then you also have a little bit more flexibility with budget. So rather than looking at those really low end um, really basic marketing tools, we can kind of expand the horizons and look at some of those really great tools. Like right now, I'm obviously I'm into Salesforce and Pardot and I use it on a daily basis. Um, but we could have gone a MailChimp route or we could have gone, you know, just a more basic route but it didn't give us the room to grow. And I've got big goals and big dreams, um, just like I know a lot of other marketers do. So we definitely want to make sure that we're allowing the room for that, yeah. but still staying within budget. You know, I'm, I'm not looking for something that's going to allow me a ton of custom development because that's not something that we need. It's not something that 10 years from now we'll probably need, but we do need it to be customized and personalized enough to get the job done and get it done well. So it's, yeah. You're yeah. not distracted. You're not distracted by the shiny, oh, oh, look, custom development. You're like, yeah, thanks for trying to trick me, weird salespeople. Like, I, I know what I need and what I don't need. And yes. I don't need that right now. I, I want to do it all, you know, within the programming interface I've got. Um, you know, one time I had a, um, a VP of marketing and product, um, which was interesting. So it was like tech person who was also the marketing head. And um, she made the, the choice to go with Silver Pop over Pardot. This was back in the day when Silver Pop existed. And that was still a bad move. <laughs> but the explanation was that it looked more complicated. And, and, I, and I think no one ever said this, but my guess was it was like, okay, maybe complicated equals powerful in some people's minds. Like, I don't know what this is. I don't understand it. But wow, it seems complicated. And one of the things that was highlighted for me, which just, you, you kind of reminded me of this with being like, okay, I don't need the custom coding right now, um, was at the time, Silverpop had, you could have multiple databases. You know, in Pardot, it's like, you have your prospect. Well, in this tool, you could have your prospect database, and you could have another one, another one, you can call it whatever you want. It was interesting. And so I was like, oh, what could you do with multiple databases? Well, it didn't actually matter because only one of those databases could connect to your CRM, right? right? So it's like, if only one's going to connect to your CRM, the other ones won't. What do you do with the ones that don't connect? Like, and so it wasn't really that big of a deal, but it was a feature. And I'm sure it could trick many people into thinking, well, Pardot, I can only have one database connected to my CRM. Well, oh, interesting. They're both only one database, right? But you could be distracted by that. So it, that's, that's smart that you're advising us to allow room, but then stay in budget. And the other thing I really liked about what you said there was, that the more people who benefit, the more it can be approved. I feel like you are like a walking soundbite machine because just about everything you've said for the last 10 minutes is like we should cut up into little clips uh, and, and throw in all the podcasts and LinkedIn's and everything because all of these things are so important. The more people who benefit. And what's crazy is I, I asked you, um, like, how do you solve this problem? And you're like, I talk to people. I talk to other people in other departments 
I get out of the silo. And that's so cool to hear that as opposed to some weird marketing answer, you know? Well, that's, I think at the end of the day, it really is all about people anyways. So regardless of if you're in, you know, biz dev or you're in marketing or you're working solo or with a large team or you're a client or you're a vendor, it's all about the relationship and the people and the communication anyways. So that's always what it boils down to me. In every scenario, in every case, in every situation, it's always about listening to the people and understanding what they need because they might not always know what they need or know how to, um, how to say what they need. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's really the core of pretty much everything I think in life. So true. With marketing technology and anything, first of all, knowing what you want, really hard to figure out sometimes. And then two, you got an idea in your head and it's kind of like light and airy. You're not really com committed or sure about it. And it's like, how do I express that to other people with these like mouths that are like, you know, ancient technology? Yeah. I, universal, a challenge um, for sure. Well, I want to come back to that, but uh, let's get back to our, our list because this is, this is awesome. So fits the needs right now and in the future. Number two, what is your third tip? Third one is strategy. It's all about planning and strategy. Hell. So like I said earlier, you can't buy a tool and expect it to know your business. You also can't buy a tool and not put anything into it to be able to understand. So you have to take the time and it does take time. It's not something you can do overnight, um, but you have to take the time to be able to set things up correctly. So you have to make sure that number one, they are set up correctly, whether you're working internally, externally with a vendor without making sure that they know your goals also, because they can set something up that's beautiful and wonderful, but if it doesn't align with your business, it's not going to work for you. And that's huge. The second piece to that is, um, you know, what metrics are you using, using to measure success? So you may have metrics that you need to share with your executive leadership team. You may have individual team metrics for the people that you're leading. All of those things need to be thought about because you can't report on data that you don't have. And that kind of ties into another true pain point is data integrity. Oh, it's yeah. so important, so, so important to have clean data and to be using what you have and not really collecting things that you're never going to use. So that's a whole nother topic. I'm sure we could talk yeah. for hours, around that. but you know, we all know garbage in garbage out. Right. So hundred yeah, percent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's definitely hit on data integrity in a second too. Um, oh, I've never filled up a piece of note paper faster than, <laughs> than on this particular podcast. So I think you win the award. Um, I'm going to run out of space. Oh, sure. I'm going to be in the margins all day. Uh, this is good. This is really good. Um, strategy. That's so cool. That you bring that up. The idea of plat, uh, platting, planning, we're not plating here. We're planning, um, the idea of planning and then aligning the needs, to the business. What, what is strategy to you? How do you, how do you approach that? Cause I think we use that word all the time. You know? Yes. I think it's, it's almost becoming one of those buzzwords that yeah. doesn't have a real meaning anymore. Right. Um, to me, strategy is a lot of things. So when I am working with a team or trying to understand what they need, I really want to know who they're marketing to. I want to know um, like their ideal, their ideal customer or client so that we start with that. Um, and then definitely working towards what they're trying to do. So is it where are they trying to know make more brand awareness are they trying to close leads are they trying to just 
Is it just purely lead gen? Is it specific to an event and turnout? Or, you know, there are so many different ways and things that we can do as marketers, but really understanding what the goal is and who you're trying to target are top, top of mind, absolutely. Um, I also think that having a content strategy is a, a big plus too. So we have this great tool. We have all, you know, we've got our ideal client profiles. We've got um, our, our marketing plan or our marketing strategy, who we want to target, what we want to say to them. But then we really need to understand how they want to receive it. Because it's not all about just us talking, right? It's all about providing them the information that they're looking for and maybe solutions to their pain points and helping them, even if it's not closing a sale right away, but really nurturing them and helping them understand how we can help and what we can do and not just selling a service. And I see that all the time. Right. It's not about just selling your service. It's about providing solutions to people and helping them. So Right. I think a strategy really just revolves around that. But I'm also a huge, huge fan of being proactive versus reactive. And it's something that I see all the time is quick, we need to turn this around, quick, we need to do this. If it doesn't align with the strategy that you put together, put a pause on that because then you're spending time doing things that aren't going to move the business forward and it just becomes busy work. So I think strategy is really, really important. I don't know if yeah. you can tell by my excitement. Yeah, totally, totally. I'm surprised you're not holding up one of those like number one foam fingers and like, uh, a couple other things at this point. Totally. totally. Uh, wow. The, the idea of, you know, just understanding the goal and just simple questions like who are you trying to talk to and you know, how can you help them? I love that mm -hmm. it's tied to helping people as opposed to just doing your own thing. And then you, you mentioned another thing that was, it's really interesting and got me thinking the idea of trying to find out how people want to be communicated with. And I think sometimes our own biases come into that where we think, okay, I, I know who I am, especially if you're selling to yourself, if you're selling to a different department or different kind of person, it can be a little easier because you know that you're not that person. Like I'm not an IT person. So I gotta go find out. But if you are that person, like selling, you know, like marketing to a marketer or, you know, whatever the case may be, you're like, Oh, I know who these people are. I was there before, but then maybe there's a different way that they want to communicate than that you're not used to. And um, one of the stories that came up for me was I helped out at this little um, nonprofit that I'd been a part of and I'd been like a member of, and I volunteered to be on the, the like marketing communication person, AKA the, the email slave for the, for the group. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to volunteer and do all the email for this nonprofit and just try to help out. And I was trying to get them all on Slack and do all sorts of email, but I had, I had to like pause because some people were like, no, I want to use WhatsApp. And I was like, I hate WhatsApp. <laughs> Sorry, WhatsApp. <laughs> and Hey, WhatsApp, all you are is one channel on a Slack workspace. So sorry, that's all you, that's all you are. Um, but I was like, oh, I don't like WhatsApp. And, but I took the time to just individually email like a list of a hundred people that were members and ask them like, okay, how would you like to be communicated with? A lot of people said email. A lot of people said text. I was interested. I was like, oh, oh, okay. I, I wouldn't have said that, but if you want to text, we can, we can figure that out. And then some people wanted a calendar invite, but it just took me like holding off on my own, you know, where, what I think it should be and just asking them to your point, asking, listening to them and you know, what are the challenges they're solving, but also how do they want to receive the answer? Absolutely. You nailed it, man. Man. Um, data integrity. You mentioned that yeah. data is such a crazy problem. How do you keep your head straight with data? 
how do you keep from going insane? I mean, have they ever put, like, have you ever had so much bad data they put you in, like, a padded room or anything? Almost. Almost? (laughs) Almost. Yeah, everything from from just not, oh, it's so tricky because it's really a never-ending process. Yeah. So you think you have it down, but then, you know, you review it a week later and it's, you've still got more things to clean up. So it's always going, it's always... Um, it's always changing, and it also requires everyone on the team to be so unbelievably consistent. So I know that there are tools out there that help with this, and I've heard of a lot of them, but I haven't decided or used, like decided on one or used any of them yet. So I can't speak to that, but this would be a great opportunity, if you know of one, uh, to let me know, because I definitely am in the market for that. Definitely. But um, I definitely think just having a company set of best practices around the things that you're collecting, um, you know, anytime you have the option to use a drop down or a pick list for a form instead of a free text field, that's, yeah. that's been huge. Let's talk about that. Tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. What's the advice around the drop down? I love a good drop down. Um, I think it, so what I found, and actually I learn a lot of things the hard way. And what I noticed was I had a free text field set up for a state form um, a long time ago, pretty much when I was starting out. And it was chaos. So there was no consistency whatsoever. I couldn't segment anyone by state because we had some MIs, we had some MICHs, we had some Michigans, we had Michigan spelled incorrectly. We had, you know, just a variety of different things. It was, it was just chaos in there. So I quickly learned the best way to do that was to do a drop down. Um, so that solved that issue. But there are a lot of little things that come up like that that you don't always think of until you hit the snag and you're you're facing the issue and you need to resolve it, you know? Yeah. Michigan, MI, New Hampshire, NH. I could, in Massachusetts, there's like MA, there's also mass, you know? Right. So there could be three different things and you could spell the state wrong. Man, those free form text fields, like use with caution, huh? Jeez. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And another thing that comes to mind too is like title, you know? That's a a tricky (laughs) one. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, one of the ways I've seen it done is just making it really simple, like manager, C-level. There are a few different statuses like that that you could use. Yeah. But even when it comes to title, especially at the company I'm with right now, um, there are so many different businesses within that one company. And then there are so many different titles within those businesses that we try to reach within those companies. It's absolutely insane. So we've got everything from QA, which could mean one thing in one one company, to oh, no. QA, which would mean something completely different in another company. So we're separating by different areas of interest and different divisions and programs and segmenting by those things as well. But it can get messy really quickly if you don't have everyone on the same page. And with larger companies, it just becomes more people to manage, more people to educate, you know, and then you've got all those hands in the pot that are touching everything. And, you know, you're just trying to manage it as a, as a one person show. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's like run away from the title field if you possibly can. It's not going to be nearly as helpful as you think it is. And um, people with long title, you've got an amazing title. I even asked you about it before we got started (laughs) because I was like, is this correct? And you're like, yep, that's because you do everything. So yeah. naturally your title says everything. It'd be hard. It'd be hard to write an automation rule. That's like, okay, if you see these words, take this action. It doesn't know what to do. It'd give up mine too. Mine used to be chief awesome officer until recently. And that's probably why I didn't get a lot of spam. That was probably why, but yeah, good luck sorting any of our titles into the appropriate things. Whereas if you ask a role question, like you were saying, 
where you're like, you know, what is your function or your role or, and you give them a drop down, uh, then you can sort them automatically into the right places. I, your quote, I love a good drop down. I feel like that's an instant social tweet right there. I love a good drop down. Ashley Anger, you heard it here, folks. Friday the 3rd. There are a lot of little things like that I love, like landing pages with just a single call to action. Tell me what I need to do. Let me do it. Don't confuse me. I like to keep things simple. Why do they do that? Why do they do a landing page with multiple calls to action? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but I just don't think people are educated and, you know, a call to action is literally a call to action. It's what you want someone to do. And if you throw five or 10 different things out there, you're going, you're not going to be able to lead them to where you want them to really go. It's going to give them a lot of options, which, you know, sounds great, but in reality, the data shows you have way more conversions on call to actions that are specific to what you want them to do, or else you'll just lose people. I'm one of those people. I will get lost all the time. I'll scroll down and I'll forget the main call to action or what you really want me to do. And I'll get lost in a downloadable resource or, you know, just get overwhelmed and shut the window. <laughs> it all happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, we're just going to, you know, go down some rabbit hole where you, you thought you wanted us to come here. Well, what's crazy is it's like, no, look over here. No, here. And then they're both competing. Oh, fill me out. No, click on me. And it's like, ah, right, guys, stop arguing. I don't really know where I'm going here. I'm just going to click the homepage. But sometimes I'll actually, I'll click an ad and I'll go to a homepage and then I'm just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's another fun one. <laughs> right? Because that's, that's the exact thing we're talking about. Not only giving people one or two calls to action, they're giving them infinite ones. <laughs> yep. It's like you click on yes. this ad and mention this cool thing, but JK, here's our homepage. Go find it. You know, people are like, no, that's fine. I don't want to go sort through that. It's like a little Marie Kondo needs to happen here, right? We need to, we need to tidy up these homepages, tidy up these landing pages. Yes, I love Marie Kondo. Huge fan. Huge, right? huge fan. When, when did you, did, was it the TV show? Is that how you found out about her? It wasn't. It was the book. So I was, um, I was at the library with my daughter doing like a preschool reading class. And I just saw it. And it stood out to me on the shelf. And I had heard it before, um, but I didn't really know anything about it. I read the book. I was absolutely sold. Um, I KonMari everything all the time. Um, and literally in my free time, I just go through things and get a donate bin together. And we just take it to the donation place by our house. And huge, huge fan. But I'm also, um, I like things very specific. I like things very clean. I like things very organized. I'm kind of a minimalist. Nice. Um, not like an extreme minimalist. I have like a lot of random things too, but I definitely pick and choose the things that I like to keep around me. So oh, for sure. And if I were to judge your background behind you, <laughs> I would I would agree to that. You got a yeah. couple cool things, a little trailblazer friend, and um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting the the Marie Kondo thing is is I I'm kind of the opposite of that. I wish I was you in that regard. But when I heard about her, I was like, maybe she's got some magic spells to her. And I'm not going to watch her TV. I tried watching the TV show, but it, it's slow. And then you also, when you hear buzzwords of everyone talking about it, you're like, is this cool or is this just a fad? But when I found out she has a comic book, um, I was just all over that. And I asked for it for Christmas. I actually got it from Santa. And then I remember at Christmas time, we'd done eating terrible food and you're like really good food. And um champagne and we're, everyone just sort of sleeping I, I started going through the comic book taking notes from it 
and I basically distilled down the comic book that afternoon. And then I was like, I'm gonna get started. Like you can't like learn that stuff and then not take action. Um, yes, exactly. That's my favorite part about it. I think I love learning things and reading things and then instantly being able to take action because once I learn something, I want to make whatever I'm doing better to that next level. So that's one of my favorite things that I'm actually about halfway done with your book, um, marketing automation unleashed, unleashed. And I love it. It's everything simply put in a book for anyone to be able to understand. And that's just magic. It's amazing. So way to go, Casey. Yeah, well, you, you can get it too. <laughs> Amazon.com. That's cool. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, uh, I think it accidentally got Marie Kondo'd up. And that was because I originally wrote a 45,000 word book. And the publisher was like, hey, hey, great job. Good job, Casey. Pat, pat, pat. And they're like, you're contracted for 35,000. So uh, you can do that. Or you can just pay, uh, what was it? Is it 10 cents a word? Uh, no, it was 25 cents a word over, I think. Um, and so the, the question was like, okay, do I really want this, these 300 words? Or do I want to pay like, like $500 for it or something crazy, uh, whatever the math was. And I remember one of the sections was like a brief history of advanced dynamic content. And it was like, mm, I'm still over. So there is no brief history of advanced dynamic content in that book. It got... Whoop, Marine condoed up. Um, and, uh, but I think it, was, it became better for that because I really had to fight and battle to figure out what stayed, what goed. If there was an extra sentence that said the exact same thing, it had to go because I didn't have room. It, it, just like our drawers in our closets and our bookshelves, we don't have room for all the things. You can't keep it all. Um, yeah. So I had to clean it up. But it was, it was kind of a nice um, accidental, you know, Marie Kondo situation where it ended up making it a lot tighter of a, of a read. Yeah, that's the same way with data duplication and same way with instances. It's the theory behind it is useful across everything pretty much. So I definitely, every time I get into a new instance with a new client, I, I take a look at it, I take a deep breath and I'm like, okay, so what can we organize here? What do we need to keep? What can we archive, you know, and like, let's move forward with a plan in place. So, so true. Right. Um, you know, there's a particular thing. Um, I don't know if, if your book, your book probably has this in just written form, but one of the things I was impressed with, um, with her style and this, so oh, time to clean up, right? One of the things was, uh, let's say it's time to do books, right? And I don't think that was first, but there's a certain time and there's like a roadmap, right? There's, she doesn't go like, okay, just clean up this room. She's like, no, 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 start with these things and then start with these things and then these things. Um, but she doesn't say like, okay, books, for instance, okay, clean up all the books in your bedroom. And then later on you go to your family room or your, your office or something. And you get, no, no, no. You get all the books from everywhere and you put them all in the middle of the room, right? Same thing with clothes and, or anything else, any other objects, objects in Salesforce, right? right? You get all of the things, no matter what system they're in, you put them all in the middle of the room. And she was saying, if you try to clean room by room, system by system you're always going to be cleaning because you're cleaning here and you go over there and sometimes you to clean up that room you might put them back over in this room it's like and can't do that got to put them all together and i feel like there's some magic to that sort of not only is there a roadmap but there's this honest conversation saying like look you can't you can't piecemeal this thing you gotta look at the big picture 
you know, Pardot and Salesforce, all of your prospects, all of your leads, all of your records, whatever tool you're using, you have to look at the big picture, not just like, ooh, Pardot's clean, but now Salesforce is dirty. You know, like you'll always be fixing bad data in that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's helpful to have everything on the table all at once. So if you're looking through all of your socks, instead of just one drawer of socks, you're able to match and clean up a little bit easier than if you are just doing one drawer at a time and you still have this whole pile of misfits, right? Right. So, yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah, she's Did you, do the book thing? Did you ever mm -hmm. do her book thing, though? Yeah, so we actually, I'm down to about 30 books now because I just, I read, I read them. I knew I wasn't going to read them again. We donated them. Now I just keep buying more. It's a terrible habit, but oh, totally. <laughs> you're like you just clean them up, and then you're like, I, I have more room for them now. Yeah. Um, you know, but one of the things was she says like, um, pick up a book, Rational Loyalty by Deb Gabor, and um, you can't open it. You just look at it, and you're like, does it bring me joy from looking at it? Am I going to read it again? And she's like, if you open it up and look at it, you're going to be like, well, I could learn so much from this. You know, because I, I could, and it'd be hard to get rid of any book because you'd be like, I could, I could learn from all these books, but it's like, are you actually going to read that in the next couple of months or not? If, if not, then get rid of it. If you ever need it again, you'll get it again somehow from the library, you'll buy it. But it's like, stop sort of like having all these procrastinations around you, you know, just have the hit list of the top books that you need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll have, keep my fingers crossed that my book makes your list when, uh, you tidy up your books. It already did. I think I posted a tweet uh -huh. a while back that I couldn't even get past the forward without being like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah. Totally. Yep. Totally. Well, that's good. I've, I've survived one round of Marie Kondo then. Um, <laughs> yeah. Marketing automation, you, how, how long have you been working with it? Um, about four years, right around four years. Yeah. I started as a user. Um, I was yeah. working at a, a small nonprofit school a university and I was the only marketing person at the university and um, we implemented it and I was instantly amazed by it. It was probably the most fun I had out of my work day ever. Just being able to tell, you know, who was incoming, who was already a student, um, just digging into it really. And I loved it so much that I actually started, I changed jobs so I could be in Pardot more and started working oh, wow. as a Pardot specialist and a consultant. Um, for a marketing agency because it was fun. Every right. day I woke up and I got to play in my favorite platform of all time. So it's kind cool. of a win. I'm with you completely. Yeah. yeah. I, I ended up um, a little different, but the same kind of thing. Like I would hop around different jobs and just basically be like a part of consultant to all the companies I worked at when their part out was all done and everything was groovy. I was like, okay, cool. Where, where do I go now? So I can fix somebody else up. Uh, I don't want to sit here and just hang out. I'm going to go fix another messy i want to go marie kondo another messy part on account yes. or, um, someone using netsuite for email and they should kind of come to the 20 20th century or something um crazy do you if i would ask you i know this is hard because it's kind of like asking elon musk how to build a rocket but if i were to ask you your number one tip for maximizing part on what would you say i would say number one tip that is tricky um i would say organization okay so. Yeah, because it 
it just, it makes things easy to find. It makes things easy to segment. It makes things easy to stay consistent. Um, yeah, I just, I think it all comes down to just organization. If you have things organized, they're easy to find. If things are easy to find, they're easy to use and train on. And if people can be trained easily, then they can use the platform and you're just building a more robust, more knowledgeable staff. So. That's such an, I mean, there's so many times you find an organization, especially if they're on Marketo, nobody knows what's going on because the one person that was doing it left and it's not organized and they can't figure it out. And they have to like, and sometimes we'll go in their, their org to try to figure out what their Marketo account says. Sometimes we can't figure it out because they're just not organized. So you're right. You just have an organized process to it. Um, and what does that mean to you? Uh, starts with naming convention. Well, first, I guess it would start with setup. So making sure that things are set up correctly from the technical aspect of things. Yeah. And then really thinking about your naming conventions. That has been a game changer for me is having a solid naming convention where even though we may have 50 hands in the platform, everyone's following that same naming convention. Um, it just helps with reporting. It helps with even setting up something as simple as tags, having a, a really specific list of tags for people to use. Um, it just keeps things nice and tidy, you know, and it, it's easier to train on when you have a list of five things to do versus everyone doing their own thing. Um, it just really makes life a lot easier. Right. I love that. Tags. It's cool. You don't say tags weird like Jennifer Schneider does. Have you heard her say tags? I haven't. She's from Wisconsin, so she just she's all, all over the place. It's like tags. We make fun of her all the time for it too. And she graciously accepts it and probably calls us names under her breath. But yeah, <laughs> tags for sure. Tags naming convention because those filters and part are so it's like a little Gmail inbox, right? You just type in whatever you're trying to find and it just filters your list instantly for you. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, do you have a crystal ball? Uh, can can you see into the future? Where, where do you think all this is going? Anything you're excited about in the future? Any of the strategies coming around or any of the tech changes that have you excited or scared or any of the above? All of the above probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. I have loved the last probably six months to a year really learning about conversational marketing. And it's not just about a chat bot. And I think when, when people hear conversational marketing, they instantly just picture that little bubble that pops up on your screen when you're on a website, but it's so much more than that. And I'm, I'm really, really excited to continue learning about it and also hopefully implement that at some point. Um, I know I'm implementing it for my own website, but I'd really, I'd really love to see sales and marketing work together to yeah. come up with a plan to be able to really utilize that the way that it should be. How do you think that happens? Do we need, do we need magic genies? I mean, Maybe. early on you talked about listening and asking people what they want. In, any thoughts? I mean, how, how is it with you, the different places you've been, the idea of lining with sales? I think it's a struggle. Um, I don't think I've ever been somewhere where it was completely figured out. Right. It's, it's always learning and growing. I think there's a lot of territorial pieces that go along with that, just from historical information from each company that I've worked with. Um, but I think once they see that they both really should work together and they're a team rather than, you know, a right hand and a left hand, but that they can actually work together, you can do so many more things with that knowledge. And just being able to communicate with them, that's a really big area for improvement for a lot of companies is being able to commu communicate between your marketing and your sales teams. Um, I know there are tools out there that make it easier, you know, for example, the, the Salesforce part sync back and forth and being able right. to have that transparency a little bit in there. But 
putting, being able to sit down with the team and putting together a strategy. This is what our process looks like. You know, here's point A, here's point B, here are all the steps that we need our customers or our clients to work through before we can close an opportunity one. But being able to shorten that cycle or being able to drop the pieces that are often, you know, where a lot of your clients or prospects may fall off and no longer want to move forward. Just being able to see that whole thing in general is really, really important and really exciting to me. And I think conversational marketing, when I read, um, it was a book by David Cancel from Drift. And I think it was called the conversational marketing book or something along those lines. Completely changed my perspective on things because up until then I was a form girl, you know? I know about forms, I trust forms, they do the job, they get it done. But I didn't really know anything outside of that. Yeah. And this completely blew that whole form and landing page only up in my face. It just completely blew up. And I loved the way that it made me really think about things and not just, you know, do what you've always done, but really consider how a new tool would help that entire process and how we could streamline things and make it easier for people to get what they need. So yeah. Yeah. huge fan. Yeah. Conversational marketing, the, the whole concept. I mean, I'm a fan of forms too. I'm a fan of marketing automation and the concept of it. But I think so much of what we do is like, reminds me of the military, hurry up and wait, right? So hurry up, get this person on your site, make it so efficient, you know, no other call to action. So there's only a form, they fill it out. And then what happens? Like they, they wait. And you mentioned being aligned to sales. If we're really aligned, maybe they get a call instantly. Maybe they get a call that day. If not, they might get a call in a couple of days. Um, or an email to say, when is a good time to have a phone call? Well, well, dummy, they were, they were probably ready right then, but because you like took a voicemail, it's like, Hey, can I talk to someone? Yeah. Yeah. Here, leave a voicemail and, and we'll, we'll coordinate over four or five emails to find a good time to talk when you would be ready to talk. But it's like, I would have talked then perhaps. Um, it's just, it's interesting to think about what can happen. I don't think it, you know, just like ABM or any of these things, like it's not, not going to magically solve everything, but at least getting us thinking about the short term and how could we circumvent, like you said, how could we circumvent a lot of those sales stages? If they're ready to talk right now, could they hop on a call with a sales rep right now? That would be cool, you know, rather than wait, man. It would, it would also, it would get rid of like, you know, someone mentioned the other day that they, they had done this and as it was happening, suddenly they had less MQLs because there, more people were jumping whoop, right over that and they were going right to like an opportunity and maybe missed that stage or, or were created in Salesforce and um, they probably need to fix that um, process-wise. But, but also it just, it changes the metrics that you're looking at. A long time ago, earlier, you mentioned, you know, metrics that we're looking at are important. Well, if you're just looking at MQLs, chat might be horrible. But actually, if you're looking for close one deals and a faster sales cycle, that might be awesome, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not for everyone. I'm sure it's not going to fit for every business or for every website out there. But any opportunity that you can connect with someone who's looking at your information right then and there, whether it's you as a person or you very clearly as a bot, I I do think there's a difference between your bot pretending to be you or, you know, just acknowledging the fact that, hey, I'm a bot, but I really want to help you find what you need. So big difference there. But I definitely think that, you know, having someone manning those and being able to provide real answers right then and there is a huge advantage.
advantage. Absolutely. And I do still love forms, but I think forms and conversational marketing can work together like besties. And I, I think that that's really where I would like to see some of the clients and some of the companies that I work with move is more in that direction. There was a spot that really intrigued me in the book, and it was about um, a, C a CEO or a CFO being online at two o'clock in the morning, you know, after a long day um, checking into some things, and they visited a website. And they had conversational marketing, they had the bot available, and she was able to book a meeting the very next day at a time that worked for her to have a conversation about what she needed and be able to solve her issue the very next day. And that blew my mind because like you said, right now it's an email back and forth if anyone even responds to a form completion. You know, if there's even a person who's assigned um, to do that and who takes accountability for that. And that's a huge piece I think that's missing as well. But then you've got, you know, on the positive side for your sales team or your business development team, they can come in in the morning and they've got meetings booked on their calendar and they're ready to just, you know, let people know and, and fill people with knowledge about how they can help. And then that makes them way easier to close a deal or close an opportunity. So that's so kind of what sold it for me. Sold it. Yeah. yeah. You know, as you really think about the people who do chat, it's like that whole thing of, um, you know, we, you'd have that contact form with like 18 fields on it and no one would fill it out except for people trying to sell you something and maybe the people who urgently needed to actually talk to you anyway, so they were going to do it one way or the other. Um, and then the whole idea with marketing automation came around so that you could get people in the door that weren't ready to talk, weren't ready to shop. They just wanted to like browse. I wonder if chat still doesn't fix those people. You still need to be able to nurture the people who are like, no, 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 I actually don't want to talk. Like there's still going to be plenty of people who are like, I know, I don't want to talk to your salesperson. I'm just, just browsing here, right? Just walking in the retail store and you're like, I'm good. Just, just they're like, hi. And you're like, hi, thanks. All set, you know, and then browsing around. But I think to your point, the chat bot, if they are coming into the store on a mission, they've got a return, they've got a coupon, a discount, they've got something where they're like, I want to check this out. I want to try this thing on then it's helpful for like that percent. And so rather than, you know, in the last time, I guess the, the, it's almost like a back and forth. At the very beginning, we were treating everyone like they're ready now and most people weren't. And then we treated everyone like none of them were ready now <laughs> and some people were. And now it's kind of a, that blend of, if you're not ready now, that's cool. But if you are ready now, that's cool too. And we have like things for whichever path you want to take. Yeah. And if someone's coming and filling out a form and they're not ready and they're not chatting with someone and they just want more information or they just have a question, that's a great opportunity to add them to an engagement program or a nurture campaign yeah. in your marketing automation platform. So it's really kind of a win-win when you look about it. If someone's coming cool. to your site and looking for information, you can either nurture them on a program or if they're ready to go, so are you. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Win-win both, both ways. Man, who are you? Who are you, Ashley? Take us back in time. Little Ashley days, running around. Did you always know you're going to be in marketing? Where Where'd you grow up? What do you want to be? <laughs> um, I moved around quite a bit. So every year or so, we moved around. Non-military family, just really indecisive. Um, <laughs> like yeah. a move, move, or like in Michigan moving, or we stayed in Michigan, um, okay. but it was. My parents had different dreams, I think. So my mom liked being in a town. So I grew up in what's considered Downriver, Michigan. It's a suburb. It's like the suburbs of Detroit. Um, 
So I bounced river. around a few That's cities a, there. Yeah, I'm learning something downriver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but my, um, my dad wanted farm. He wanted country. So we, we did a lot of transitioning back and forth between the two and trying to figure out what was going to work for everyone. But I think when I was nine years old, I started my first business. And I've always really loved business. I've always really loved talking to people and helping people. That's kind of the core of my being. So I saw an opportunity on my street. We had a lot of um, older couples on our street. So I saw an opportunity to start a a lawn care business. And we had a couple rakes in the backyard. And I gathered some other kids on my street. And we decided I (laughs) I made a flyer in Microsoft Publisher. Nice. How long ago this was with some pretty fonts and some really nice clip art. And um, we took it door to door on our street because I wasn't allowed to cross the road (laughs) and um, just kind of sold our services. And I'm allergic to absolutely everything outdoors. So it didn't last long. Oh, no. Um, Yeah, but I definitely loved the business side of things, the operation side of things, making sure everyone had the tools that they needed and kind of putting together that the little plan that I did at nine years old of just knowing this is how much money we need to make per house. If we want to pay everyone this amount, here's how long we have to do it. Here's how many houses we have to hit. So it all kind of stemmed from there. But I think really in, when it comes to knowing when I was going to be in marketing, I was in high school and I had a marketing class and it blew my mind. It was all about product marketing and it blew my mind, just all of the different things to think about. It wasn't just about making a a pretty logo or picking a color palette, you know? It was all about perception and reception and it was all about um, the market and what the market needs. And there was just so many things that went into it. It just was extremely fascinating. So I always had a love for it, but I, I didn't know where I would fit in. So I just kind of have been trying everything. I, you know, I started as an assistant and um, worked in the, at the nonprofit as an assistant um, to the marketing director then. And then I worked my way up as associate director of marketing because I was just kind of doing it all. You throw a website at me. If I don't know how to do it, I'll figure it out. You throw um, Pardot at me, for example. I didn't know how to do it, but I knew I loved it and I figured it out. So it's a lot of those things. Um, yeah, it kind of led me to where I am today. Wow. So you just sort of stepped up and were like, let me try that. Let me try that. And you went to school for business? Is that? I did. I went to school for business and I minored in digital communication and marketing. Nice. Nice. Crazy. It, it, I think that's so important though, just to like try stuff out and, and step up. I, nowhere in that that I hear like, oh, you know, I don't know how to do that. So I can't do that. Or, it's not in my job description or you know, I'm only supposed to do this, not that. It's like, you're like, sure, let me, I have no idea, but let me try that out. I love a challenge. I do. And I, it helps me always continue to learn and grow. And that's, um, if I had like personal core values, that would be one of them, always learning and growing because that's really, that's important to me. I don't like to be stagnant. I don't like to be still. I always want to be helping people and, you know, whatever I learn, I want to share it with others. Well, you're totally living that because quite literally every single Pardot virtual user event I've been to, and I haven't even been to them all. I know you're at them anyways. So like this is, it, you are, you're not just saying that on a podcast, you literally do that. Um, and so it makes sense now to hear that it's so important to you. And it's one of your core values because you're doing, it. you know, like you, you got your, 
your own job where you're learning on, on the job, then you have all these other experiences learning from other people and then also being able to share that. You're constantly sharing different thoughts you have and I'm seeing on LinkedIn all the time, just sharing the different takeaways you've got. So I, I can see you doing that as you go. It's crazy. It's really nice to have a community that you can rely on and the opportunity to be able to do that too. Yeah. So I can, I can sit and read a book, but I love the hands-on and figuring things out oh, yeah. that way. Um, you know, but, but having that Salesforce community really to, they just allow you to just participate in so many different things and so many wonderful people are there to help. So yeah. it's definitely great. If I ever am stumped and Google can't help me work through something, I know that they've always got my back. It's true. Isn't it, isn't it, crazy like i think we we don't know we're kind of we don't necessarily this is not normal right to have the salesforce community like it's not how it normally is like when i was using netsuite there wasn't one right and and or there was but who cared it was stupid um the, this is very unique and it feels like not just a community of technologists but people who care like i get caring throughout it there's all different kind of forces, the vet force, the different, the out force, all different kind of forces to really just support people. Um, and we're all answering questions for each other um, because we care. Like no one's like, where's my five cents for answering your question? You know, it's just everyone, it's a very, very interesting community. It is, it's a huge team. And I think everyone wants everyone to succeed. And that's probably why I'm so drawn to it right. because I've never run into anyone who's, who's talked down or who's been unhelpful. It's always yeah. been, oh, well, I did this last week. Let me show you how I did it. Or it's always, here are screenshots and blogs that will walk you through the entire process. And that's, that's crazy amazing. That's not something I've ever run into before really being involved with Salesforce and part of it, so. It's true. I feel like the community encourages, but also incentivizes, like the bigger you are in the community is because it's the more you're sharing in it. You know, like if you just, you're God's gift of, B2B marketing analytics and you share that with no one, then you're not really, you could be a part of the community, but you're not really a big part of it. But if you know everything about it, or if you're just learning everything about it and you're constantly sharing what you learn and, and asking questions and answering them and helping people, even if you only know one answer and other people know thousands, but you can help as many people know that one answer. Like it just, it elevates you in the community. It's like such a, I think it re rewards the right stuff. You know, like not all the time do they have communities like that, but it re rewards the right things. Question for you, hypothetical. I may or may not have a time machine in New Hampshire. And, you know, okay. post COVID, wipe it down. You get a chance to use the time machine. Um, you go back in time and you get to talk to yourself at any point in time. It could be, you know, right after university. It could be even before that. It could be any point what would you go back and tell yourself you've experienced a lot of things you've got a lot of certifications you've done a lot what kind of advice would you give yourself i would i would tell myself it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're learning from it make all the mistakes because that's the best way to really learn and it took me a really long time to figure that out um, probably a few years ago, actually. So a really, really long time. Right. But if I could have, yeah, if I could have known that, you know, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I think I would have been able to figure out the direction I wanted my life to go a little bit sooner yeah. and really where I found my passion and what, what made me excited every morning to wake up. But I was nervous for so long to try new things and fail at them. Nobody likes failing. I mean, I still don't like failing, but I know that if I fail and I learn something, it's all right. 
I'm okay with it. Yeah. 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 You've got a quote on your, um, your Twitter, what she tackles, she conquers. Yes. That is one of my favorite, really short quotes. I'm a huge quote junkie. Inspirational quotes are definitely one of my favorite things. Um, but I feel like that just sums it up. There's never been a challenge that I wanted or something that I really wanted that I didn't give it my all to try to do. Sometimes I don't succeed and that's, that's all right. My girls know that and that's really important for me to share with them. Um, you know, you don't always win at everything, but if you're doing what you love and you're trying your hardest and you're doing absolutely everything you can to make it work, that's all that it really, that's all it takes. You know, that's, it's really, really important to me to, to now that I know that, <laughs> even though it took me so long to be able to share that with them. So they see me fail, they understand, they know that I get up and I try again. And if it's something that I really want, I just keep pushing forward and eventually I'll get it. And if I don't, it'll take me somewhere else where I didn't even know was possible. Right. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it's the, it's the challenge. It's the struggle. And it's cool that um, you're okay. Um, you know, going through that and learning that and just it's okay to you know get your bruises and and still come out on the other end and you've learned something and even if you haven't even to your point even if you haven't won or you didn't succeed if you learn something then you you won you learn if you learn something and you're still alive you can you can do it again you know you can try it again do you and speaking of quotes do you know that um it's like roosevelt he has uh like an arena quote have you heard of that not off the top of my head, no. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I found it. Uh, the credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great dot, dot, dot. Thanks, Google, for rebaining it. The rest you'll have to look up for yourself. But yeah, like you're in the arena and you're learning things. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. I love being in the arena. So it feels like home. Always exactly. learning something new and, and trying something new. Yeah, it sounds like you're comfortable with the challenge. And it's it's almost like you'd get bored if there wasn't a challenge constantly around you. I do. Yeah. I if there was ever a time where I wasn't able to learn something new or to improve something. I would get really bored. But oh, that's okay. right now my biggest challenge is B2B MA. So no experience. I'm hands-on. I'm building some custom dashboards, but it's been I haven't have had I haven't had a challenge like this in a while. So it's definitely been yeah. a big learning curve. But I I'm love it. You. I love every second of it. So I'm with you. And the good news is it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not you at all. It's not like everyone's posting every day. Woo, just figured out B2BMA. I'm all set now. And then you're like, man, I'm like the only one not doing this. No, everyone's trying to figure it out. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll be using Tableau but by the time you get it figured out. But, <laughs> but either way, yeah, that's, that's cool. There's that challenge. But I know you're, you're a mom and like raising kids is a challenge too. So you're, you're definitely, you know, I know I'm challenged constantly with, I don't know what I would do in this situation. I don't think my parents had to deal with this situation. Like, what do I do? Yeah, every day is different, so. It is. How, how, how have you managed with, like, the homeschooling and the home, the, like, home pandemic stuff? Secretly, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I, um, I actually went to college for early childhood education for a little while before I realized that 
I wasn't a big fan of kids that weren't my own. <laughs> so hundred oh, percent. Yeah. I'm hundred percent. They may yeah. be cute, but I do not have patience for them. I do not like I'm not gonna be mean to them. They're children. Right. I love my own kids. I would do anything for them. I would not necessarily do anything for your kids, right? It's like, yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way, except for teachers. God bless them. Oh, I know. And we've been, we've been blessed with some really, really great teachers this year that made the whole homeschooling look almost easy. They set yeah. us up with everything they needed. We had times and they hosted classes. So there aren't enough words that I could even say thank you. I can't even describe how how they've really molded this entire experience for us. So it's been pretty easy for us to make that transition. And I'm used to working from home. Um, you know, I've always worked from home for at least part of my job, if not all of it. So they're used to having me here. They know when the door is closed, you know, I'm on a call, don't pop in. Um, we've got a schedule. Hmm? Have you had any of those pop-ins like that, that reporter from the BBC? <laughs> trying to be all serious and the kid's like, hi, he's like pushing him down and the wife crawls in and like grabs the kid. So my youngest likes to come in if she knows I'm on a call with certain people. She'll come in, she'll like lightly knock so I kind of know she's coming and then she'll pop her little head in, say hi to whoever's on the, the other line with me and then sneak back out. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely been challenging just because, you know, they're home and I'm home and we can't go anywhere really. So, you know, it's, yeah. But it's, um, it's worked really well. It's, yeah. I, it all kind of boils back down to my love for processes. So we've got a pretty tight schedule. You nice. do these things by this time, you get this. You do these things by this time, you get this. I check at lunch. You know, it's, it's been a lot, but it's been fun. Yeah. You're I'm looking forward to school starting in fall, though. Oh, right. For sure. You're using your organization skills you talked about. And also, you get to check that box on the teacher side. Um, I found that, man, there, there is nothing. Like, school is cool, but there's nothing like homeschooling. Um, it is, I'll say, like, way more effective if, if the parent has the time. Um, it just ca- it takes, like, four times the effort of, like, sending them off to school with a lunch. So it's like this, ugh, like, but at least they're learning. Like, the positive is that they're learning a lot. And you're right, the teachers, um, especially, you know, having to learn Zoom, like we kind of take it for granted. Like we've been, hey, I've been hanging out on Zoom all, all my life, but like they haven't, you know, like that's not their job. So some of them figured it out and sometimes the ballet teachers don't figure it out. And you know, like, <laughs> like there is an all mute button where you can mute all of your children. There is a way to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we figure it out. And I think everyone's much more um, easygoing and flexible. You know, if you got a kid coming on a call or a dog barks, like, hey, cool, we're at home, like, whatever, we may probably be home for a while, or, you know, some people may choose to stay working at home, and and that's cool, but, like, I think everyone's a little more flexible with everyone now. Yeah, I definitely think the stigma that was associated with it has kind of diminished at this point. Yeah, 100%. Quick question, where do you learn, Um, and what are you reading these days? Do you read nonfiction and fiction as well, or what kind of, what's on your docket? Yeah, I am. Um, right now, I've got Marketing Automation Unleashed, and I'm rereading This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. Oh, nice. I think he just boils the basics down beautifully. So mm-hmm. it's always a nice reminder to, to go back to those marketing basics. Um, I just finished Never Split the Difference, which I didn't think I was going to like, but I actually really, really enjoyed that one. So I would recommend that one if you haven't read that one already. That's a good one. And um, I'm, I'll put my plus one to that one that it's like, it's an FBI negotiator 
who talks about how to negotiate. Quick question though, there were so many stories that caught my attention. I, I always think back of like, what kind of takeaways I got from it. Do you, if you had like one takeaway from that, I mean, I'm pushing you on the spot, but like anything yeah. in mind? Um, I would say my one takeaway, <laughs> he used an example that the reason that splitting the difference doesn't work is, and here's the example he used. If you had a black shoe and a brown shoe on, mm -hmm. it, that's technically splitting the difference. And you don't win with that combination because you're still going out with two different shoes. So I think when I think about things, I kind of flash back to that really simple but pretty effective um, like thought and that visual that that gave me. So if there's something that I really, really feel passionate about and I really need to make sure that the, the negotiation is complete and it's not one of those instances where I really split it in the middle, it just gives me that little extra oomph to really move forward and really make that happen. Wow. So I don't know if there was really one specific takeaway. It was a lot of really great stories in different situations. Yeah. But I think just keeping that visual in the back of my mind when I'm making decisions and when I'm speaking with people um, really kind of helps. The tone that he used when he was talking to those, um, the people holding the hostages, just right. little things like that, I think really all together kind of formed more of a, a thought process in my mind. Yeah, and those experiences teach as well by the way 100 percent. as you're saying that i'm like teacher boom you <laughs> brown shoe black shoe got it totally <laughs> like can you just read all the future books for me and then just teach them to back to me <laughs> that would be great yeah. <laughs> maybe Seems that's a new company notes. for you <laughs> ashley reads books <laughs> all right adults come come gather around there's story time with ashley <laughs> business oh, yeah. book here we I go i love that too right I could see you being like, okay, guys, chapter one, let's, let's do this. <laughs> uh, we do that at home all the time. We have a pretty big children's book collection and reading is one of our favorite things. So it's always playing teacher. My youngest play teacher now too. They'll hold the book up and they'll read it to the class, which is, consists of me and a bunch of stuffed animals. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Crazy. Any fiction lately you've been reading? No, I actually, I really stick more towards the, the books that are semi-quick reads. They're not really novels, but that I have takeaways right away from. Interesting. Yeah. Like, like the nonfiction type, take, quick takeaway kind of books. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It's, every now and then, it, it's, it's almost like fiction can be harder because, well, I mean, nonfiction can be hard too if you're not teaching me anything, but, but the fiction can be hard. It's like, I'm not interested in your goofy whatever you know, genre, or you get completely captivated, you know, so it's kind of hit or miss for that. So, but at least with a nonfiction book, you're like, it, at least it says it can teach me about this topic. I'm not wondering if it's a good adventure or not. Right. I will say when I was writing my book, I was always making fun of the fiction writers because I was like, I would much rather write a fiction book because I don't have to be accurate per se. At least that's what I was saying. I was like, I'll just make up something. Oh, yes. And then Sharon looked over to Chad and said, I can't believe you did that. And, you know, whereas in my book, I'm like, okay, is this actually true? Do, do, am I saying the right thing? Or am I going to bunch people tweeting at me? So, yeah, that's the correct thing. Okay, let's fact check, fact check, you know, um, versus just filling it with lots of flowery language. It's crazy. Well, yeah, definitely this, two completely different things. Oh, 100%. Totally different things. Um, any, uh, if you were to gift someone, like, do you have any, like, most favorite book that you would gift people a lot, or you would, 
Um, yeah, the all of Simon Sinek's What's Your Why and yeah. all of the Why series books, I think are really great. That's actually part of how I figured out my why, which is kind of crazy. Um, so I love gifting those because they're not specific to marketing, but it really just helps you look at things holistically and kind of life holistically. Yeah. So those are some of my favorites. Um, Seth Godin's This Is Marketing is another one of my favorites for the marketing people in my life. And then um, I'm working with some web and development teams. So I actually just gifted them the conversational marketing book. Oh, so good. Hopefully I can try to sway them a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start implementing. Yeah. Totally. What's your why? That's cool you figured out your why. Helping. I just want to help people. That's at the core of everything I've done from being a child until today. It's always been about supporting people who have goals and helping them reach those goals, whatever they may be. So I'm kind of like a giant cheerleader slash support slash I just want to high five you, you know. Like, totally. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the why concept is so huge. And um, sometimes the why evolves. Like I, I bumped into that concept a while ago with um, trying to come up with like my company's why. And it's evolved over time because at the beginning, I just wanted everyone to feel important. I didn't want people to feel like a cog in a machine. But eventually it's like, okay, the why is supposed to tell you if you should do something or not, but be important doesn't necessarily tell you that. So we, we eventually evolved. And um, at one point it was like being a te you know, teaching a better way. And then eventually it just settled on making marketing and salespeople heroes was, is what the why settled on. But you're right. Once you have that, it's just so cool. Cause then you're like, cool. Is this what I want to do? Does it, does it align to my why? Yes. Cool. Right. It either aligns or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you don't have to feel bad about not doing it. Right. Right. That's so, that's so true. So true. Well, sweet. Where can people connect with you? Cause I'm sure they, if they haven't already, because I'm sure they already have. Um, but if they haven't, where do you want them to go? Like yeah, social so, sites, LinkedIn, all those things, throw them at us. Yep. So um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Ashley anger or on LinkedIn, just Ashley anger. Pretty simple. But. Okay. Yeah, sweet. And when you do connect people, don't be weirdos and just connect. <laughs> send a message. Heard you on the podcast. You're the best. Um, yay. Something like that. And then send. Uh, that way it's not like, ooh, is this, is this person trying to sell me something? <laughs> yeah, um, and feel free to share your tips and ideas and things. Like, I mean, I know we've touched on it probably a thousand times on this call, but I love to learn. So if you've got something that you want to share, I am all about it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and on that same note, uh, to those listening, if you've learned something, and I freaking know you have because I have two pages of notes front and back over here, and I've run out of space um, completely, then share this with someone. You know, be a thought leader to one person, uh, but don't just share this on the on a platform like, especially LinkedIn. Put in that text area your takeaways. Right? I was listening to Ashley; she was talking about all these different things, and man, there was so much stuff we talked about. I love a good drop down, strategies around that, the proactive, the reactive the budgeting, the fitting the needs, the strategy side, all these different tips. Put your takeaways from there and then share that thing away. 94 people, 139 people, whatever. And then tag us and we'll like it and we'll comment. It'll be fun. So that's how you do thought leadership. That's how you show leadership out there in the interwebs. And uh, with that, Ashley, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. We're going to have to have you come back and hang out later on, maybe after this COVID thing is done or 
once you conquer B2B in Maine, you can teach it back to me. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, for everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.